Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of Devils Talking Padres. No Bobby today because our schedules just couldn't align following the series win against the Oakland Athletics. So it's going to be me today with a guest, new guest here. We got Jordan Spurgeon, another ASU student at the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism and Mass Communication, also a San Diego native and a fellow Padres fan. So I figured he'd be a great replacement for Bobby for this episode. Jordan, how are you doing? And welcome on to Devils Talking Padres. I'm doing great, Dominic. Thanks for having me on. Always excited to talk about the hometown team and uh, see them have this continued success. So definitely glad to join the podcast today. Devils Talking Padres, you and Bobby have been doing some great stuff. Yes, we, we thank you for your support. It means the world to us. Uh, we know that uh, we're just trying to give something a, a little different edge about the Padres. We know that no one else produces two podcasts a week for the Padres. So we, uh, we're, we're trying to help out and uh, we appreciate you listening. So let's talk about this awesome series in Oakland because the Oakland Athletics, the center last podcast, only had four home losses on the year. The Padres just beat them twice up there in the first game and in the third game. The first game was just awesome, shutting them out seven to nothing. In the second game, it started off slow. Chris Paddock didn't look like himself again, losing eight to four. And then in the final game, Padres snuck out a victory five to three taking the series from the Oakland Athletics, who are one of the best teams in all baseball. Jordan, what what were your thoughts on the series? To me, we just further learned how this team is going to shape up. You mentioned game one, seven, nothing shutout. We see Zach Davies continue his dominance this year. Seven innings pitched, four hits, zero earned runs, 105 pitches. I, I note the 105 pitches because that's something we have not seen from the San Diego rotation in the past two years. And that is a reason why I believe the bullpen has been so atrocious. I don't believe it's the talent in the bullpen. I believe it's starting pitching. And so to see a guy like Zach Davies, who leads the team in ERA now with a 2.23 ERA um, in the starting rotation, be able to go 105 pitches, help give the bullpen a day off on a day when the offense was clicking, they score seven runs. Um, that was huge. Um, also today seeing Garrett Richards not have his best stuff and still be able to find a way to get deep in the game. Um, still, didn't touch 90 pitches. We want to see him throw a little bit more, but um, I think that was really strong to see Garrett Richards still be able to go seven, give up three runs um, and get the win there. Stick on the pitching side, Chris Paddock. Listen, the first round is going to be a three game series this year. At this point, Paddock's not going to be one of those three starters with the addition of Clevenger with the way Davies has pitched and the way uh, Nelson Lamette has pitched. Paddock's not going to be one of those guys. And I hope that's something he realizes and starts turning it around because he is the guy that takes that stuff to heart. And I think he's going to continue to get better. Um, the biggest thing for me is opponents are hitting 333 off his fastball this year. Um, that's been the biggest difference with Paddock. We saw Oakland, who is one of the better offenses in baseball this year, um, really be able to sit on his fastball. And that's why he was only able to go four and two thirds, giving up seven hits and four and runs. So to me, the pitching has been what it's been all year um, in the starting rotation in this series. And that stood out to me the most, um, just looking at everything and watching all the games. Yeah, and Chris Paddock didn't, look particularly bad in the start against the A's. I mean, of course he allowed four runs and didn't even get through five innings, but I mean, some of the hits he allowed, they weren't great. And the pitches that they were getting hits on, they were, they were decent pitches, but it's his command just has not been where it was last year with both the fastball and the changeup. And when his fastball's command isn't as good as it has been, the opposing batters can rely more on taking that changeup because saying, Hey, his fastball is not on today. I think this is going to be a changeup. And the changeup chase rate is down by almost double what it was last year. So he definitely needs to figure it out. He's clearly shown over his past five starts, two of them have been just really good starts. So he's not a bad pitcher right now. 
He just needs to figure out what's been working for him and stick to that. His four-seam fastball just doesn't have the same life that it does. And Zach Davies, you mentioned he threw over 100 pitches. That's actually the second time that he's thrown 100 pitches so far in the season. I don't think a single person expected him to be the best pitcher on the pitching staff this year. Obviously, no. Denelson Lomet has been almost as good, but 2.23 RA compared to Denelson Lomet's 2.62. You're looking at Davies as he's been the better pitcher just by a hair, but Davies, he's a fun guy to watch because he doesn't blow anyone away, but he still finds ways to get strikeouts because they don't know what's coming ever. And as a guy who didn't throw hard when I played baseball in high school, I just love watching Zach Davies. Obviously, <laughs> the other guys are more enjoyable to watch because you just make hitters look like fools. But Zach Davies, you love the way he pitches. He's a real pitcher. Yeah, 100% with Davies. Um, this season, just looking bigger picture here, um, obviously, no, Paddock's going to be just fine. Like I said, he's been slowly turning it around here. Um, I am not on the bandwagon that we should just, you know, we're going to move past Paddock after this year. He's going to be just fine. He'll be in the rotation long term. Um, but coming into the year, we realized there's Gore and Patino, who are two guys that are supposed to be in the rotation next year, uh, potential staples of the rotation for years to come. So coming into the year, we had Zach Davies, Garrett Richards, Joey Lucchese sort of, you know, battling for spots to make the playoff roster this year. and make the roster next year. And so far um, Richards has been nice, but Davies has, you know, shirt himself an opportunity now with Clevenger being in the mix um, to still find a way to stay in the rotation next year, which I think is impressive. And going back to one last thing on Paddock Dominic, I just think when I mentioned that he's probably not going to start in a three game series in the first round, that's a luxury for the San Diego Padres to know that they can wait for Paddock to figure it out. And they still have three guys they can turn to and know that they can rely on um, come playoff time if they play a three game series. And so, I think it's going to be really good to see what Paddock's going to continue to do. Um, like you said, out of his last five starts, two of them have been really solid. Um, I like the way he's slowly making adjustments, even if his fastball life hasn't been there yet. His fastball command hasn't been there yet. And so I still, I still do think he has a chance to turn it around. So definitely not jumping ship with Chris Paddock, but this Padres team at the starting pitching, that's been the, despite all the, you know, offensive rec, you know, offensive standings, they're first in runs, top two in home runs. Um, the starting pitching has really been a luxury, and that's with Chris Paddock still not living up to what we expected before the season. So it's a real luxury for the Padres right now. All right, and Chris Paddock at a 4.75 ERA as the number five pitcher, that's a really good five pitcher. There's not a problem with Chris Paddock being in the rotation. I, I do not see Garrett Richards coming back after the season. It's a free agent, and it really doesn't make sense for the team going forward to bring him back as much as we would all like to see him. just doesn't make a ton of sense, but the rotation going forward is definitely going to be a strength of the Padres. So let's, uh, let's break these games down one by one. So we already kind of talked about the first game of Zach Davies. He was really the main show. Of course, when you shut out a team, you're going to mostly talk about the pitching staff, but the offense was also very explosive. They opened it up in the fifth inning following in the top in the bottom of the fourth. It looked like the A's were going to get a run, but Matt Olson failed to touch home plate prior to being tagged by Austin Nola. And that kind of sparked the Padres because it said, oh, hey, like, you know, they had an opportunity to jump on top of us, but it didn't happen. So let's let's grab the momentum. And that's exactly what they did. Scoring four runs in the fifth inning and chasing Jesus Lazardo, who has been one of the A's best pitchers on the year. And it all started with Trent Grisham. And Trent Grisham, if you've ever listened to this podcast, you've heard me just talk about how he needs to be the leadoff hitter going forward. And he was in a slump over the past couple of weeks. So it made sense to move him out. But he showed in Oakland that, He's definitely deserving of being that leadoff spot in an absolutely stellar series. And then Tatis Jr. hit 
just, it looked like my drives today on the golf course, just, they weren't going high, but they were going far and they weren't getting a, the distance wasn't as good as it could have been because you weren't launching a high, but he crushed it off the wall, drove in two runners and Eric Hosmer cashed him in. And then at that point it was kind of cruise control, Tatis Jr. And Machado, both at home runs off of Mike Miner, who's making his A's debut. So that was a very uh, unwarm welcome for him. And Luis Campusano got his first career MLB hit. It was a nice little home run to right field. Of course, he got put on the IL today. So we don't know what we'll be seeing out of him going forward. But what else stood out to you about this game, the opener? Yeah, in the opener, I like what you're saying about Trent Grisham. Um, three for four in that game, really finding ways to be productive at the plate. He is the center fielder of the present and the future. I agree that he should be the leadoff hitter. However, I did t- hear them talking on the broadcast today about possibly going back and forth between one and nine um, right-handed versus left-handed splits. So against righties, batting him leadoff lefties, um, putting him down on the ninth slot. I am totally okay with that. I think this lineup doesn't have guys that need to be in one spot. We've seen Tatis put up very similar numbers in the leadoff spot, the two spot, limited times in the three spot. Um, and so I'm okay with him, but I do think that, you know, on most days he is going to be a leadoff hitter. Um, I'm glad we acquired Austin Nola. The trade first happened at the deadline. I was a little bit, Unsure about what that trade was going to bring, but now seeing Austin Nola up close, not just seeing the numbers on the page, he's the real deal. And so seeing him go two for four in that game um, with an RBI as well, that was really impressive to see. And, you know, adding on to that, I know he's going to be on the IL now, um, but Campisano when he comes back, I never thought we'd see him this year. Never played above single A, um, no minor league baseball this year, no chance of him playing double A or triple A. And supposedly at the alternate training site, he's been doing nothing but launching home runs. Um, and it showed off. He, he comes in, he uh, gets on base. Um, and then next at bat, he hits a home run um, for his first career hit and his first career home run. And so he'll be back in 10 days, um, a little bit less because it's retroactive to that day. So nine, five. So on the 15th, he should be back. And it'll be interesting to see um, how that shapes up now, because they're going to have three catchers that they can sort of move around and you can have one in the age spot. You can have Nola play in the infield at times. Um, that gives Moreland rest against right or against left-handed pitching, which he has a lower split against. And so I think that's been the most interest, interesting thing. I, I thought we were going to have two catchers this year. Now it's going to be three after the trade deadline. And it's going to be interesting to see how the playing time shapes up, but I like how it was working in the series and especially on Friday. And I'm also curious to see if they'll do anything with Francisco Mejia, who is currently on the injured list. Will they just keep him there? Will they put him down in USD just to get some extra work in? Because when he was playing, it was pretty bad. And now we've got some catchers who are actually performing. I mean, Castro got on base multiple times today, or just one time. It was with a walk. And I highlighted him saying, hey, listen, this guy isn't going to hit the ball that well. He's not hitting the ball well right now but he gets on base. He walks. That's all that matters out of the catching spot because the lack of production there has been severe over the past couple of seasons. No, that is true. And and going back to Mejia, my theory, and I could be 100% wrong. Um, I believe he had three starts last year in left field. Left field has sort of been sort of a turning point this year since Tommy Fan has gone down with an injury. I believe when Mejia does get every day at bats, I do believe he hits. I think he's a guy that struggles when he gets one or two games a week. And so now with the situation at catcher, I think he's a guy that can still squeeze into the lineup, um, switch hitting bat when he gets every day at bats, maybe for a week or so, if he gets healthy um, down the stretch, you try him out in left field, 
see what happens and see if he's a bat that can contribute in the playoffs. Um, outside of that, I don't see an opportunity for him to make the playoff roster um, this year just because of his struggles and there's not going to be room for him to catch now. And so the only way I see him making this team with the way the DH is set up now with our catchers and with Moreland um, rotating with Hosmer and Machado there too sometimes, there's only one spot for him and that's in left field, which has been um, sort of wide open since Tommy Pham has gone down. Um, Jerks and Profar's been doing a great job out there, sort of learning left field kind of on the fly. Um, still a guy not hitting well, but getting on base. And so I think adding a, a guy like Mejia potentially in left field could make some sense, at least for the short term. That's not a long-term spot for him, but short term this year. That's definitely an option the Padres could look into. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens maybe next week. I think he only has played one game out in left field because I, I remember I'm like, oh, he is playing left field. And uh, I was actually there for that game. It was the, it was the chicken game. So I was dressed up as a chicken. I vividly remember <laughs> that day. It was, a, it was a fun baseball game. Uh, let, let's talk about the second game. Um, we already mentioned Chris Paddock, but the Padres would lose this game 8-4. to four. They were not hit in this game. Each team had 11 hits. Uh, and for the A's, a team that has really struggled with runners in scoring position on the year, it's kind of concerning to see him get 11 hits and eight runs. They, they might have just caught fire. Uh, facing a struggling Chris Paddock, but the A's opened this game up with two runs in both the first and the second innings, all of which came with two strikes to every single batter. That's not ideal at all. Padres tried to get back in the game in the third inning. Eric Hosmer came up with the bases loaded. Uh, he did beat out the ground ball uh, when they tried to turn two, but the Padres didn't score until the eighth inning. And at that point, the A's dropped four more runs on them with uh, Ramon Laureano hitting a home run off of Luis Patino in the sixth inning. At that point, you're kind of like, oh, no, the, this game's kind of over. And then Piscotti got a little lucky infield single, but the Padres did show some fight. Aaron Nola hit a home run in the eighth inning. He crushed the ball this game. And then Jake Cronin, yeah, he, he had some, he crushed the ball and he came up with two runners on base earlier in the game and he flew out to the warning track. Uh, so he, he really showed what we got in that trade in this game alone. And then Cronenworth singled in the eighth inning to drive in another run. And then Machado drove in another run in the ninth inning, which results in the score being eight to four. So Potters really got outplayed in this game, despite not being out hit. What were your thoughts on this one? Yeah, this was a game that sort of showcased one weakness. I've, I've been concerned with, with the Padres. Um, we've seen the last couple of years, teams that are top in the league in the long ball. Look at the Twins last year, the Yankees the last couple of years, despite their injuries. Sometimes they struggle to score when they can't get the long ball going. And yes, Nola had one in this game, um, but they were two for 10 with runners in scoring position. They left eight guys on base in this one. Uh, meanwhile, the A's were five for 11 to consistently win games. And I understand you're not, your pitching staff is not going to give up eight runs. Normally when you score four, you're going to be more in the game, um, but to consistently win games, they have to find a way to score these runs. When you have runners in scoring position, you can't be having flyouts. Um, strikeouts are down this year, which has been great compared to last year, but you can't leave these guys on and rely on the long ball all the time, because especially as we get closer to the colder portions of the season, wherever the bubbles happen in the playoffs could be beneficial for the Padres if it's warmer climates. But as you start getting towards colder weather here, it's going to be very difficult to continue to rely on the long ball for a majority of your runs. And so um, I do believe that was really what stood out to me. This game was being two for 10 with runners in scoring position and not finding a way to get guys in um, when they had opportunities until the eighth and ninth inning, when they were able to score some runs, um, or in the eighth inning. Yeah. The eighth and the ninth inning, they scored two and one. So that was really, yeah. What stood out to me, we talked about paddock, but offensively um, it was a little alarming, not 
panic time yet, but a little alarming that this is a trend that has happened the last couple of times they've struggled to score. It's because they have not been able to um, connect on the long ball consistently um, in those games when they're struggling to score runs. Right. And there's nothing wrong with scoring runs on home runs. It's just, you can't totally depend on it every game. And you definitely touched on that point. I've also said that on previous episodes. So uh, clearly we're seeing eye to eye there, you know, you, especially when you take two out of three from a really good team, that shows that you're doing some right things. But uh, in this, in the second game, it showed the Padres were not driving in runners with scoring position, trying to rely on that long ball. And that's just not feasible. There are several balls that were hit well in this game, but when the ball goes up in that thick Oakland air, it's just going to die. And you definitely saw that. I remember uh, cursing multiple times and my roommates like Dom. <laughs> chill and i'm like the stadium sucks pat you don't understand and you know, he's he's a red Sox fan so he's been uh he's been having a down year so yeah. Padres dropped that game eight to four and then the final game i was out golfing today so i missed the first couple of innings as i already mentioned i was golfing uh, it, it was okay round we don't need to go into that much but <laughs> padres they they dropped behind early in this game and allowing another first inning run and I'm sitting out there listening to the radio and I'm like, oh no, here we go again. Richards, another struggle in the first inning. This is not going to be a good start. And I really couldn't have been more wrong. In the third inning, the Potters added two more runs. Hosmer got absolutely screwed by the umpire. And then, at least in the eyes of Ted Leitner, and then he singled out a ball that was up at his eyes. And that was just awesome to hear. He's like, oh, that pitch was so high. It was a cool call. And then Machado drove in Tatis to grab the lead two to one is tied the game two to two Matt Olson, who had been struggling coming into the series. But as I mentioned earlier uh, on the previous podcast, Matt Olson's a great player. You knew he was going to find his groove against the Padres. He did driven the tying run there. And then at that point, the Padres scored in response to that in the fourth inning, good teams respond to other teams when they score runs. You saw that in the third inning with the A's and then us in the top half of the fourth, with Cronenworth, who just continues his rookie of the year case, uh, driving in Myers on a double. And then Fernando Tatis Jr., the National League MVP, he pimped an opposite field home run. And not a lot of guys can do that. They just tried to get back into it late, but they, uh, they're they too far behind. Padres' bullpen has been very sneaky good of late, and that continued again in this series. What was your reaction to this one? Going back to what we talked about with Davies, seeing Richards go seven innings when he didn't have his best stuff. Like you said, first inning really struggled. I kind of was sitting there. I was watching the Bucks heat game at the same time. And I was kind of like, okay, uh, this might be a day where he's going to give it four runs. And I happened to get up to make some food, came back. Okay. He only gave up one pretty good. And so I was happy with that. And the fact that he was able to get the seventh inning allowed the bullpen to continue to be dominant. Um, the acquisition of Trevor Rosenthal has been great. Now we're allowing Drew Pomeranz, who was sort of filling the closing role for Kirby Yates, to be our version of what Josh Hader was a couple years ago before he was the quote-unquote typical closer, or Andrew Miller with the Indians those years ago, um, when he was sort of the guy that was kind of the closer, but was really just there to get the most important outs, whether that came in the seventh inning, the eighth inning, or the ninth. And so having Trevor Rosenthal being able to close this game out, get his first save as a Padre, and letting Drew Pomeranz get the hold in the eighth, I think that really helps spread this bullpen out, because now that there's three arms that have been really reliable trevor rosenthal drew pomeranz and as much as padres twitter hates craig stammon he's been very great as of late um i understand you know all the trades everyone wanted stammon out and i understand where that is coming from but he's actually been really solid as of late and now allowing stammon to come into games in different situations will be beneficial down the line but to me yeah seeing 
Richards find a way to get it to Pomeranz and then to Rosenthal is really powerful because that's going to help this bullpen um, be better than they have been all year. They've been 25th worst baseball, worst bullpen in baseball this year, but the numbers are slowly improving week to week. And so I think it's going to continue to improve down the stretch. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if over the last month of the season, we see them have maybe a top 10, top 12 bullpen in ERA um, as we close the season, not for the total season, but during that last month stretch as we get ready for playoff baseball. Yeah. Craig Stammen, he hasn't been great all year. That's probably not, that's probably reaching, but uh, you've seen in the past, he's a grinder. He doesn't need to come in in high leverage situations anymore. That's, that's the job for other guys. And you mentioned Drew Pomeranz. He's, he's the high leverage guy. Bring him in in the eighth when the top of the order from Loriano, Mark Hanna and Matt Olson are up. And that's, that's where you want him. You, like you mentioned, Drew Pomeranz, he, he's not the closer anymore. We didn't bring him in to be the closer. We brought him in to get high leverage outs against both lefties and righties. He's still yet to allow a run on the year. That's just absolutely incredible. I don't think anyone expected him to be this good, but he's been lights out. And the Potters bullpen, it's starting to come back, and it could possibly be a strength going forward for this team. Yeah, like I said earlier, to me, I've always said it with this Padres bullpen. Last year, working and watching over 100-something games, I always felt it was the starting pitching. Last year, because the starting pitching was so young, they couldn't go deep into the games. They had all the limitations on them, and so the bullpen really got tired out because it was off to a great start last year. This year, same thing, whether it's Jace Tingler or whether it's the pitchers early on, um, I did feel like pitchers weren't being allowed to go deep enough into games when they, whether they were effective or not. And that really started wearing down the bullpen, especially with less off days this season. Um, but now we're seeing it. Our, the starters are going longer and in turn, we're seeing the bullpen really start to shape up. And I think that is really beneficial. Um, the last couple of years, it's all he's been talking about. Okay. You just gotta get your bullpen to have all these power arms to go four or five innings every game. To me, the best teams are still the teams that have a couple starters that can go seven innings so that they're not taxing their bullpen every day. And so we're finally seeing that with the Padres with Zach Davies and Garrett Richards. Um, Denelson Lamette has been, you know, has done better at getting into the sixth inning than he has in previous years. He's been having an outstanding year for them. Um, Chris Paddock is typically a guy that can get to six or seven. Hasn't, as of late, but he, I believe he still has a chance to be that guy. So um, all of that with the maturation of this rotation, I didn't even mention, mention Clevenger, who's obviously a guy that is known for being able to, you know, throw 90 plus hundred plus pitches every start and go deep into games, um, whether it's six or seven innings. And so I think the bullpen's only going to get better, not because of the acquisitions we had, that's part of it, um, but because of the, the maturation and the expanding of the starting rotation that we're seeing right in front of our eyes. And I think that the starting pitchers being expanded was an expectation coming into this year. Lamette got some endings under his belt last year after Tommy John surgery. So he was going to be more, more able to go deep into games and same with Chris Paddock after last year, especially with him being so young, they just wanted to loosen the reins this year. Unfortunately, Chris Paddock hasn't been as good. So the reins have been tighter than we would have been expecting. But following the series, Potters are now 25 and 17 and they're currently four and a half games clear of the San Francisco giants for that second place lock in the playoffs for the NL West five and a half games behind the Los Angeles Dodgers who play the Colorado Rockies in a couple hours at the time that we're recording this. So if the Rockies win, they'll be four games behind the Padres. And if that is the case, the Padres will be five games behind the Dodgers for the division. So the division's still in reach, especially with the Padres playing the Dodgers three games. Uh, the expectation is probably the Padres will get second place. And if the season were to end today, the Padres will be playing the Phillies in the first round, given that they are the current 
five seed as the second as the second best second place team in the MLB at 19 and 17. They did just drop their last two games. So I, it's an exciting time to be a Padre fan. We're finally realizing, hey, we're going to be in the playoffs. And following beating the Oakland Athletics, who were one of the best teams in the American League, uh, the Padres really have got to be thinking, we're a borderline top five team in the MLB. Oh, 100%. I think that's been sort of the knock as who have they been able to beat. But going into a series where the Oakland A's have been a top three team in the American League with the Rays um, and the Indians and the White Sox, they've been in, in the race there as far as the top teams in the American League. This is a huge series. Um, I was telling my buddy Tyler about it yesterday that um, he was really bummed they lost the game yesterday. And I go, hey, if they win on Sunday, they take two out of three. That's a great um, outlook for the San Diego Padres as they move forward. So um, I'm really liking what I'm seeing from them. And it's not a stretch to call them a top five team on my show, the Spurge. I think I put them at number four, first time they cracked the top five for me all year. I typically had them seven, eight, maybe nine range. Um, but with the moves they've made and the way they're playing right now, um, all the bats are clicking. Manny Machado has really turned it around. He's gone on one of his typical Manny Machado month long stretches where he can sort of carry an offense cooled off as of the last couple of games, but still being productive. Um, hitting over 400 I don't know the exact number but hitting over 400 with runners in scoring position this year that's huge for this team um and so I'm just excited to see what happens if the bats keep rolling the way they are and the pitching slowly keeps shaving up the way it is this team has a legit shot to not only just make the playoffs but make a deep run this year this year is built for the San Diego Padres you get a three-game series potentially against the Phillies maybe the second round you end up with a five-game series against the Dodgers I like their odds in a five-game series against the Dodgers not saying it's 100% guarantee they would win but in a five-game series against the Dodgers, they would have a legit shot to force five games and potentially win that series. And so the outlook for the Padres right now after this series is really trending upwards as it has been all year. Yeah, I was just on a Zoom call with my family prior to hopping on here at Jordan. And uh, my my relatives are Dodgers fans because they live up in Los Angeles. My mom actually grew up a Dodgers fan, but we we converted her to be a Padres fan. <laughs> and he was telling me, he's like, oh, he's like, we're, the one team we're worried about prior to getting to the world series is the Padres. And there's going to be seven other teams in all of baseball in the postseason. And I just think that speaks volume. Like they, they realize that we're a good team. The, the keyboard uh, Twitter warriors for Dodgers fans, they won't admit it because they don't have to. It's a, they get 220 characters, a tweet. They don't have time to say, Oh man, the Padres are actually good. We should stop making fun of their fan base. They're just going to make fun of us. The true Dodgers fans, when you have a conversation with them in real life, they, they know that we're here and we're ready to go. The first five games against the Dodgers this year, guess who won three of them? Yeah, it was the Padres. It was the Padres. The Padres won three of those first five games, and one of them, the tying run was thrown out at home to end the game. So it could have been four. I'll settle with three, but it could have been four. So the Padres are right there with them. Am I going to pick us to win that series? No, but the Padres are right there with the with the Dodgers. Before the trade deadline, I would have said they were a playoff team and they would have no chance. But now you look at the lineup one through nine, maybe two or three bench pieces. All of them can hit. That's how the Dodgers are built. They're built with 13 guys in the lineup that can all swing the bat. The Padres are the same way now. Um, I don't want to compare them to the Houston Astros, but the comparison I do make is all the homegrown young talent, especially on the offense, um, you start slowly adding in expensive pieces. You sign Eric Hosmer two years ago. You signed Manny Machado last year. 
Then you start slowly winning and you add a frontline starter, much like the Astros needed to do before they started going on deeper playoff series runs. They had to go out of Jessica Verlander. They had to go out of Garrett Cole. They had to go out of Zach Greinke. That's the position the Padres are in now. And seeing them meet buyers this year was really fun to watch. And once you're in that position and you start making those moves, you realize we have our young core. Now let's start leveraging it to get more experienced players that are going to help us go on a run now. And that's what the Padres did this year. And that's why I really do believe this is a team that has a shot of going all the way. It's them or the Padres out of the National League. My preseason pick was the Atlanta Braves. I haven't seen enough out of them. And their starting pitching staff is a little bit depleted. And so I would pick the Padres and the Dodgers over the Braves at this point. So those really are, in my opinion, the best two teams in the National League at this point. Yep, definitely agree with you. So let's talk about this upcoming series of the Colorado Rockies. The uh, Padres have already played them seven times on the year with all seven games being in course field. So the Rockies, they're, they're just playing in LA. I already mentioned they got a game tonight at seven. So by the time you're listening to this, you'll know the result of that game. You just won't know it from us, but uh, they're playing the late game and they come down to San Diego for a three game set Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all night games with Wednesday being um, an evening game. We'll, we'll call it that. Uh, Padres' three scheduled starters are all announced already. Denelson Lamette, Mike Clevenger, and Zach Davies. As for the Colorado Rockies, their, their middle starter is yet to be determined. Kyle Freeland and Antonio Sensatella, we do know, will be pitching the first and the third games, respectively. What are you looking at coming into this three-game series with the Colorado Rockies? This is, like I said, going to be the rotation in the first round of the playoffs. Lamette, Clevenger, Davies, probably flipping Clevenger and Lamette, but I'm looking to see how this pitching staff continues to do. Um, we've been pretty solid against the Rockies this year. They are still a team that are kind of, in my opinion, I haven't been able to watch all of the games, but been sort of a thorn in the side of the Padres at times. Um, but the Rockies have cooled off as of late, and so I do believe that the Padres pitching staff is going to continue to um, be pretty solid against the Colorado Rockies, um, Denelson Lamette's got a two, six, two ERA this year. Clevenger only gave up two earned runs in his Padres debut. Um, Zach Davies leads the team with a two point two three ERA this year. So I really expect them all to have solid outings in this one. And, um, the offense should continue to roll the way it has the last couple games. Um, even in game two against the A's, like I said, they struggled and they still found a way to scrap four runs together at the end of the game. And so I think that trend's going to continue against Colorado, especially now that we're in San Diego. We're not going to see any crazy um, scoring barrages now that we're back in San Diego compared to Colorado. But I say that, but still possible with the way this Potter's offense is playing. Yeah, bo both offenses are definitely like the strength of the team when you look at those two teams. You know, you did mention the starting pitching has been a big surprise for the Padres, but the offense has definitely been the highlight. I mean, it's Lane Diego. Uh, it's, it's been a fun, fun year to be a Padres fan and the Rockies they're they're hanging on borderline playoff team for sure. They're probably going to want these games more than the Padres. And they won on Saturday night against Los Angeles Dodgers uh, comeback win. they had to fight away against the Dodgers bullpen, which has been stellar all year, possibly the best bullpen in all of baseball. So, if they win Sunday's game, they could be a confident team coming into San Diego saying, Hey, listen, we're, we're a borderline playoff team. We need to show that we belong. The best way to show that we belong is by beating one of the best teams in the national league. So don't take the Colorado Rockies too lightly. If I'm the Padres, uh, there it's going to be a fun series. First starter for the Padres and also met, we've already mentioned 2.62 ERA on the year and his past couple of starts haven't been as great Just looking at his ERA. It was down below one at one point or not down below one, but it was down near one at one point 
uh, 1.59 is the lowest it's been. Then it's gone up to 1.89, 2.35, and 2.62. So a nice little bounce back start from Denelson Lament would be awesome. Kyle Freeland, we've seen him multiple times on the year. Left-hander, not going to strike out too many guys. 28 strikeouts in 44 innings on the year, 4.09 ERA. He has been one of the better starting pitchers for the Colorado Rockies on the year. And in his career against San Diego Padres, he's got a 3.98 ERA in 54 innings. Padres did get the better of him in his second start, but in his first start on the year against Padres, Kyle Freeland was locked down. Mike Clevenger, he didn't look great in his last start, but six innings and two earned runs is a pretty good start. Uh, so hopefully Clevenger can look even better than he did last start and he'll pitch better against the Colorado Rockies. As for Zach Davies, he allowed four unearned runs in his last start against Colorado. He settled in. He's been a beast all year and now he's pitching back home in Petco park. I'd expect another great start out of him looking to try and solidify himself as an ace. You know, these guys are trying to battle for starting pitching spots and, you're not guaranteed to pitch in the playoffs if you're scheduled as the third starting pitcher this year, because you could drop the first two games. I hope and pray that that does not happen. But if you drop the first two games and you're not third starter, you're just sitting there on the bench saying, wow, I ain't got my turn to show what I got. So these guys are definitely battling for the top three spots. And then as for the third starter, Antonio Sensatella, he's just been owning the Padres. He went seven scoreless against the Padres in his last start at Coors Field, 2.73 ERA in 59 innings. I'm sure the Padres don't want to see him, but this is a new lineup against Sensatella, and now he's at Petco Park. The first two starts on the year for him were at Coors Field against the Padres. So it's a different way of pitching in these two ballparks. We'll see what happens at Petco Park this week. Yeah, I think that's going to be the determining factor here. Um, but as far as the offenses for the or the offense for the Padres, I really do believe we need to see um, Tatis and Manny continue to do what they've been doing. Um, I'm interested to see how the catching situation shapes up with Nola and Castro now. Um, I understand Camp Busano was part of the plans. He won't be there for the next um, eight days or so now. He's on the 10-day IL. So it'll be interesting to see how the starts shape up. I expect Nola will probably get two of those starts um, over Castro. Um, so he'd probably get two out of the three there um, behind the dish for the Padres. Um, it'll be interesting to see if Mitch Moreland can really get things going. Sort of a slow start for the Padres um, after just tearing it up for the Boston Red Sox this year. Um, he's been playing a little bit of first base. He's been getting some DH action, but I want to see what he's going to do. Um, he likely will not start against Kyle Freeland. Um, I expect the Padres won't be using Moreland too often against left-handed pitchers this year. Um, so in game two and three, we're going to have to see if he's able to um, get more plate appearances and find a way to really start going for the Padres and be that bat that they traded for um, and parted with two of their prospects with um, to really help them down the stretch here and improve a DH spot that has been um, the, one of the weak points of the offense outside of the catching this year. The DH spot has been sort of a weak point. Now it's sort of a, anybody could DH on this team at any given time, but Moreland seems to be the guy that'll probably spend the most time DHing down the stretch. So I want to see what he's able to do against Colorado. He's off to a slow start in San Diego. And I really want to see if he can start producing and putting up the numbers he was putting up in Boston down here in San Diego. And part of the reason he's been putting up way better numbers this year in 2020 is because he's been way better against left-handed pitchers in I said when we acquired him, I don't expect that to continue, especially to the extent in which he is hitting against lefties. But uh, he didn't really see a 
he hasn't really seen consistent playing time so far with the Padres. I think that's going to change as we get down the stretch. All right, Jordan, before we head out on this podcast, we've talked about all we need to talk about Padres wise. Uh, let our listeners know where they can find you on Twitter and all the content that you're producing, because I know that you're working hard over here at Arizona state. Yeah. Thanks Dominic. Um, you guys can find me on Twitter at Spurge underscore. That's a S P U R G E underscore on Twitch. You can find me at Jordan underscore Spurgeon. Um, I do my, my radio show there called the Spurge every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, right now it's 9am Pacific center time. Um, could change soon. I have training for a new job. That's 7am to 12pm every day. So that's going to really cut into that. So I'll have a new time for that, but you can follow my Twitter first and find out there. Um, but yeah, my sports show, the Spurge, I talk about baseball a lot, a lot of Padres talk, um, going to be doing a lot more football now that we're a couple days away from the NFL season beginning and, uh, continuing to follow the NBA playoffs. And so that's kind of what I do. Yeah. If you're interested in high school sports in Arizona for anybody out there, I write a lot about that for sports 360 Arizona. So I'm kind of someone that does it all. So I think the best place to find me is uh, on Twitter at Spurge underscore. I'm always working on things, no matter what it is, whether it's writing podcasts, radio, TV. Um, I'm just here to put out content as much as I can. And hopefully uh, someone out there enjoys what I put out. Yeah, it's been pretty cool to see your your Twitter following grow over the past couple of months since I met you working in the Walter Cronkite Sports Network. Uh, you work hard. You you put in a lot of work. We hope that uh, uh, our followers at East Village Times are now seeing this uh, now that you've been a guest on our podcast. Yeah, I know. It's just it's been fun being able to watch the Padres win all these games. Last year, I worked at ninety seven three The Fan, and uh, down the stretch, it was tough to watch a lot of those games. After seeing a hundred plus games and seeing so many games be blown, and the offense continually strike out, and seeing those improvements this year has been a lot of fun. And I'm glad to talk about it with you. I've been writing about it a lot. Um, for primetime sports talk, it's an online publication I write for. I write a lot of Padres articles there. Um, very similar to what you do over at East Village Times there. Um, so definitely keep putting out the content. I'll keep putting out mine. We'll keep uh, collaborating. Anytime you want me on the show, man, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Yep, it was great to have you on. And that's going to wrap up this episode. Uh, it's already been hinted at already. This is an East Village Times podcast. Uh, today, our editor, James Clark, uh, was talking about how ways we can change the, co- the type of content that we produce. We're going to have more more just articles talking about the team in general instead of just more game recaps, series recaps, weekly recaps. Uh, So expect to see more content like that going forward. And the way that we'll be running our Twitter page is actually going to be a little bit different too. So you'll be seeing EVT underscore news tweeting more just about games, what's going on at Padres Twitter, being more involved. And we're hoping that I'll get more engagements with the website and our podcast. So make sure that you're following us at EVT underscore news and checking out our content at East Village Times every day. Uh, Jordan already gave his Twitter. So I'm going to give mine like I always do. Follow me on Twitter at DMstern19 and DM me if you want to be a guest on the podcast because uh, Bobby and I, we want to be talking with you Padres fans, getting different point of views because everyone sees the games a little differently. And that's what we love about being Padres fans and no fans the same. So we thank you for tuning in. You'll get another episode out on Thursday following the series with the Rockies and we'll catch you guys next time. Go Padres.